0: Hi everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and this is Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting and Power. That's my podcast. I'm the author of Common Sense Pregnancy, a Penguin Random House book that came out this summer. And I'm Fit Pregnancies Ask the Labor Nurse blogger. Today I want to talk about something we don't speak about often enough. I want to talk about pregnancy and parenting when you're a woman with history. History, hmm, what does that mean? It means that you're not the woman pictured in a Google image search for motherhood. At least you don't come up in the first 10 pages of images. You've lived a bit of life, maybe a lot of life. Things have been messy for you. And maybe you've tidied your life up and maybe you haven't, but nonetheless, you're a mom. Warts and all. It's easy for us to think of that mom as someone else. It's even easy to judge mothers whose lives aren't as squeaky clean as we think a good mom's life should be. But who among us hasn't done something in our life that might not stand up to a whole lot of scrutiny? I worked for a couple of decades as a labor and delivery nurse, meeting women for the first time at the bedside when they came to my hospital to have their babies. I met a lot of women whose lives looked very traditional and perfect on the outside who were actually kind of messed up. I've met lots of women with messy lives, and lots of women who had complications with their lifestyles, or livelihoods, or boyfriends, or husbands, or addictions, or mental health issues, or poverty, or just plain old bad luck, and they were becoming mothers in less than optimal conditions. I met a lot of women who drank or smoked or did drugs during pregnancy too, and while a few were totally unapologetic... Most were pretty embarrassed by their choices and behaviors and the situations that they lived in. Almost all of them, almost all, truly, deeply, madly loved their babies and children and wanted to do their best for them. Their best may not have stood up to the pristine images we impose on women, but it was their best nonetheless. I learned a lot from these women about humility and perseverance and dedication and about how fragile each and every one of us really is. I learned not to judge, at least most of the time, and I learned that there but for the grace of God go I, and you, and all of us. I wrote a bit about it in my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, in a section titled, Pregnancy and Parenting for Women with History. Getting Real about Custody, Child Welfare, Drug Addiction, Domestic Violence, and Homelessness. I'm going to read that to you here. There is no such thing as a perfect mother. Nobody has ever made it through life without screwing up in some minor or major way. We're human and our personal histories accompany us into motherhood. Even the incidents we're not entirely proud of. Maybe we partied too hard or grew up surrounded by violence or angry parents. Maybe we got involved with the wrong guy or hung out with wild friends and did stuff we wish we hadn't. Maybe we were just normal women and nothing we ever did was a problem before we became pregnant. That's when everything changes. Suddenly, being a normal, wild, messed up or hard partying woman isn't okay anymore. Suddenly, we're mothers in a society that has a limited standard for what constitutes good motherhood. And just because some women don't stand under that very small umbrella that covers our society's definition of good motherhood, doesn't mean they're not good mothers. Virtually all women love their children fiercely and want what's best for them. However, for some, circumstances have left them vulnerable. In the United States, few mothers are guaranteed all the financial, emotional, employment, and childcare support they need to be the best mothers possible and some vulnerable mothers get very little support at all. There are services out there to help with addiction, unemployment, homelessness and violence, but in such limited supply that many women living in desperate, disadvantaged circumstances can't access them. What we need is a bigger umbrella that covers all mothers, even those who are less than perfect, one that recognizes we all need support, not judgment. If we do better at taking care of all mothers, then mothers can do better at taking care of their children. What should you do if you're at risk and need help to be a good mother? Number one, whatever it is making you vulnerable, fix it as best you can. Two, ask for help. Legal, emotional, financial, residential, educational, getting help starts with reaching out. Three, access parenting support classes. Four, If you're in danger, find safety, a shelter or sanctuary. Five, build your community of supportive, solid people who can help you raise your children well. And six, tell your story. The more women share their experiences, the bigger the umbrella that covers us all. Finally, don't judge other mothers. None of us is perfect. We're all just doing the best we can. Some of us just have more to work with or work on than others. So, what happens to women who are unable or not allowed to raise their children? Who are the people on the other side of that equation who take care of those babies? We tend to hear about them only in the most dire contexts. We hear about foster care gone wrong and mothers whose ties with their children are permanently severed. And that's unfortunate because the real story is in all the people who work hard to make sure those vulnerable mothers and children get the best care possible. Today, I want to talk to a woman who has worked in community health as a registered nurse for a long, long time and knows what mothers, both biological and foster, are going through. Let's get Kathy on the line. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Jean. How are you? I'm good. How's how's the morning so far? So far, so good. Excellent. So, Kathy, I teed you up as a public health nurse um, who works with foster children, but I don't think that's probably the most articulate way to describe your job. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm wondering if you would
1: tell my listeners today, essentially what you do. Okay, I'd be happy to. So uh, it's true, I'm a public health nurse, and uh, I work with a population of children that are very young, who have been placed in foster homes um, because of some sort of substance exposure situation. Which How can, young is young? From zero to five. Mm-hmm. And um, their substance exposure situation can be anywhere from being born with drugs in their system to being removed from a drug lab and other things. So a lot of... Um, a lot of impact on their lives by a variety of substances.
0: And we're primarily talking about chemical substances, drugs, substance exactly. abuse, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Okay. I My experience in labor and delivery was sort of on the other side of that equation um, she, where a mother would come in and have her baby and she would be the one who was exposing the newborn to substances, or just as often, it was her boyfriend, baby's father, or husband who was the, who was the one, and, um, you know, social services departments, children's protective services would get involved, and they would come in and determine whether or not that baby was going to go home with the mother, Um, and often that baby didn't hmm. And so the mother would be discharged without a baby in her arms, which was tragic on every level,
1: mm-hmm. virtually
0: every single time.
1: Yes. Heartbreaking.
0: Yes. Heartbreak. Heartbreaking. Broke my heart. It was, you know, just as hard on us as it was. It, no, that's not an accurate statement. It was hard on us. It was much, mm-hmm. much harder on the mother.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And yeah. so that's sort of the point where you would be introduced to that baby,
1: right? Yes, exactly. And when what- they're go when they're home with um, their alternative caregiver. And that could be a foster parent or a relative. Sometimes mm-hmm. the most of the time they're gonna go to a foster home, at least initially. Um, but oftentimes, they'll end up with um, a relative of some sort, mm-hmm. or they'll just be in a routine foster, not a routine foster home, but a well-trained foster home. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Which I'd, I'd love to know, I'd love to know your interaction with the foster mothers, um, something about the moms who end up having to release their children or surrender their children or have them taken away from them. Um, and then talk a little bit about just what the day to day job is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that that was three different topics. You can choose. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, um, you, I think probably the most important uh, thing that I do uh, has to do with working with the foster parents, who are in a position. Uh, to be bringing a small stranger into their home um, out of the blue uh, that um, has a lot of problems. Whether they be two or three days old or they be four years old, um, they're coming in traumatized in some way, be it traumatized from their substance exposure, traumatized from the lifestyle that they've been Um, Living in, uh, even simply the trauma of uh, going from a home they know to a home that they don't,
0: and some of them, the newborns are probably suffering the trauma of withdrawal from the substance that they'd gotten used to. Exactly, exactly.
1: So there's there's the rare. It's a very rare uh, child that. As, as a matter of fact, I don't think there's any child <laughs> that isn't uh, suffering some degree of trauma there. And um, so I work with the foster parents to um, help them learn how to take care of these children. Mm-hmm. Uh, help to... Well, get they, them- they probably already know how to
0: do newborn care if they're foster parents for newborns. But are you talking specifically about how to take care of their unique needs because of their situation? So, the,
1: the experienced foster parents probably do know how to do for newborn care. Yeah. But when the child is placed with grandma, it's been a long time. Oh, uh-huh. so I have taught people how to give a bath. I teach people how to swaddle. I teach people what to do with babies that are having some of the nasty impacts from substance exposure, tremoring, screaming, various things like that. So, um, you know, sometimes it's getting down to to the basics because it's been a long time. But for our foster homes, they're they're very well trained and they know what to do. Mm-hmm. So, but sometimes there's unique situations, and uh, we get in there and problem solve. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a big part of what I do, and a lot of case management. You know, trying to make sure that these children are getting what they need, be it you know medical care behavioral health care developmental care um, so that's a big part of what I do and then the other part is just supporting the caregivers mm-hmm. because it's a very hard job to um, to enter into this kind of a of a situation it impacts everyone involved um, the entire family the child involved the children and other children in the home the parents Um, the foster parents, the biological parents, just everybody. Yeah, You know, somebody referred to it recently as um, a bowl of spaghetti. You can't touch, pull one noodle out without uh, jiggling the entire pile.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that analogy. That could work for so many situations.
1: Life in general.
0: Like everything.
1: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the birth mom. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, in so many instances that the birth mom who's had to have her baby taken away from her is vilified. You know, she Mm -hmm. is looked at as, I don't know. I mean, you know, you read it, you hear it. She's the bad mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hate that because I've been there with these women who Are delivering their babies knowing full well that they're not going to get to have this baby or maybe their other children are already in the foster care system or whatever the situation they're not bad moms they're living miserable lives they've gotten themselves into a situation or maybe the situation happened to them that essentially took them down Mm -hmm. And they got pregnant as, you know, 51% of pregnancies in the United States are unplanned. Um, And then they are living the consequences. And it's just, I don't think that we give these women enough support, enough compassion. You know, if things Mm -hmm. were different in our society towards women in general, many, many, many of them would get through this and thrive. Mm
1: Mm-hmm
0: yeah what's your take on that?
1: Well, it's uh, again, it's that whole bowl of spaghetti issue the The first thing I think to remember, as you're bringing up, these are not bad people. These are traumatized people. Mm-hmm. These are um, women, families that did not get to where they are all by themselves. Mm-hmm. They didn't walk out the front door of their perfectly wonderful home one day and decide, you know, I'm going to go down to the corner Seven Eleven, you know, pick up some really addictive drugs, get heavily into an addiction, uh, go find a boyfriend that's going to beat the you know what out of me. Uh, get oh, pre- we say crap on my show. <laughs> <laughs> You know, get pregnant, keep using drugs, you know, give birth to an addicted baby. I think that's what I want to do with my life. That's the plan. Yeah, pretty much. I haven't met that person yet. I never have either. And if and if I did met, meet that person, I would say, okay, maybe you got there, you know, came out of a normal home, but you started out with some mental health problems. Right, right. <laughs> or some developmental problems. You know, there's something in there that is making you you know take these wrong dangerous steps
0: right
1: so I, I think that it, it's important to look at it from that starting point this isn't uh, this this isn't something that people get to alone mm-hmm. it's it's generational it's so generational
0: yeah yeah um, and I, it's societal and it's the community that we live in and it's that there is so, little in terms of a safety net for Mm -hmm. really vulnerable women yeah yeah
1: and uh, a a number of of uh, women that are um, finding themselves in this situation um, may have been uh, foster children themselves yeah and if you listen to their stories and they really share them um the history of trauma is intense well let's let's tell a story and i know we're going to fictionalize it
0: because as nurses we don't talk about our patients like that, right. but right. they aren't really all that unique stories.
1: Well, you know, I I don't think that I could probably you know come down with one individual story, but um, if you look at uh, drug abuse, it's you know in particular um, methamphetamine, which is highly addictive, whole families are are involved, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you might take a look at mom you know the biological mom and she's not looking good she's skinny and she doesn't have many teeth and she's out on the street and then grandma comes in and grandma is pretty skinny and doesn't have any teeth and she's out on the street and it goes back and back i don't know when people started you know 40 years ago or so abusing that drug but it's hit a lot of generations
0: it really has
1: yeah if you go back through stories um of uh, say women who are in situations of domestic violence, um, what happened in their homes? There was domestic violence. Right. Somebody was beating them. Yeah. If you go back in stories with um, women who are with men that are, you know, sexual abusers, they're abusing their own children, or the boyfriend is abusing, you know, their the other children in the home. These women were very likely. You know, victims of sexual abuse themselves, right? Um, so this
0: this chaos that they and trauma that they grew up with is actually normal for them.
1: It's their response to it, if you really think of it. And here I'm semi, I'm kind of referring to some work that, uh, at least in my circle, is a pretty well known. Um, he's a he's a neurologist and mm-hmm. I think a psychologist. There's a. Um, Oh, I'm blanking on his name. It'll come back to you. It'll come back to me. At any rate, uh, he wrote a a book called um, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, I think it's called. And um, Bruce Perry, excuse me, Dr. Bruce Perry. Got it. Writes about um, uh, situations where when you first look at a child's behavior, you think this is bizarre. Why on earth are they behaving this way? When you look at where they came from, the behavior is completely reasonable considering Hmm. where they're at. Mm -hmm. And, and it's the same with the, with, you know, parents who, who are losing their children. Um, The trauma that they came out of, I, I frequently, I frequently say, you know, if I had been through a 10th of what they've gone through, I'd probably be doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, I know, know. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the stories can be horrendous. There's also such, again, the spaghetti bowl, There, it, nothing is on its own, really. You know, you can be looking at, you know, genetic predispositions to, say, addiction. There's personality issues. There's social issues. There's self-esteem issues. There's uh, circumstance, you know.
0: Circumstance so, means what?
1: Well, for example, you have someone that uh maybe they've got some self-esteem issues. Maybe they've they're you know just not feeling quite right in life for whatever reason. They get hooked up with someone that makes them feel good and that someone says, "Hey, try this."
0: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean.
1: And they didn't mean to. And I have met I've met people like that, but they end up in a uh, a milieu that they never intended to get into, but now they're kind of stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, it, it's it's a bit of a snowball effect sometimes because one bad decision can lead to another bad decision. And um, then you find yourself, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, as a snowball goes downhill, it picks up a lot of debris. Yeah. And these are people that have a lot of debris.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: and getting getting uh, getting cleared of that is as complicated. Again, it's like trying to push that snowball back uphill. And, yeah. And
0: along the way, trying to get rid of the debris. It can exactly. be done to some but, extent. And I bet that you see some success stories.
1: A lot of success stories. And, um, <laughs> and it, it's, it's really very beautiful when you see them. And mm-hmm. I, I frequently have commented to uh, families that have been successful, that the amount of strengths that they have been able to pull is more than probably you or I, or most people walking around, you know, in our lives, you know, could, could ever access, you know, we, we look at them as sometimes they, we look at them as weak people, as losers, right. You know, bad people. Right. They're not, but, but they're, what they're trying to do is huge. Yeah. They try really hard, even if they're not successful. And,
0: you know, sort of the the motivator for these parents actually makes them really good parents. They try so hard to grow and change and move the snowball back up the hill because of the love of their children, because they love their children as much as we love our own. Mm-hmm. And yeah. some
1: they- of them succeed yeah um, yeah, a, a huge portion of them do and that's so impressive. I, I seriously it it it's brought me to tears more than once yeah uh, just that these people can be really awesome. and when we look at at families that are going through this um, you know we've all heard that phrase, don't judge another until you've walked a mile in their shoes yeah. That's not enough. Don't we? We need to not judge these people unless we can walk that mile in their feet, because we have no idea. You know, we can put on what we think they've gone through, what we think that they've experienced, but that's all coming through our own personal perspective. Right. It's all we're we're looking through our own prism. We're not looking through theirs. We're not looking through their eyes. You know, we're not dealing with the the hardwired trauma that they're reacting to on a day-to-day basis. Right. Right. We're we're not trying to deal with the grief, the loss, the guilt, the shame,
0: the anxiety, the depression
1: and the physical difficulties too. You're you're withdrawing for something from something that has its, you know, teeth into you and yeah. you're uncomfortable. You're more than uncomfortable.
0: You're painful. You're and, ang- edgy. You're yeah, you're messed and, up.
1: And you're giving up your coping system. It was not a good coping system, but it was what you had. Yeah. And now yeah. you have no coping system and you have to do the hardest job you've ever done. So much
0: courage, so much bravery goes into that. And, mm-hmm. you know, so often all <laughs> we hear is the vilified story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A woman that I talked to on the um, podcast a few weeks ago is. Avital Norman Nathman, and she's a a writer and author and um, feminist. She wrote the book, The Good Mother Myth. And what she did was she collected short stories from mothers of all walks of life. Um, Some of them would have fit under the umbrella of what we would call, I don't know that we would call them bad mothers, but we wouldn't necessarily say, oh, well, there's a good mother. Mm -hmm. And so much of... (laughs) of what we think about motherhood is it's portrayed in very whitewashed, sanitized imagery. And it's such a limited, that good mother is such a hardly any of us are that woman. It's such a limited persona. And I think it's really important to expand that so that people look around them and see mothers of all walks of life, all different, um, you know professions lifestyles they're all doing their best mhm most mm-hmm. of them i have seen one or two um who they really it would be hard on any stretch to say that they were doing their best but you know even that comes from a lack of compassion on my part i remember i remember several but it was you know middle of the night women who were completely out of control of themselves would show up in the emergency room ready to deliver their babies. And then they get up to us really quickly. The ER was always terrified of these poor women. Um, They'd get them to us in labor and delivery really quickly. And they would always be ready to deliver. And you knew that they had timed it this way because they had no prenatal care. They'd stayed out of prenatal care so that they wouldn't be linked up with the Um, with child protective services or Mm -hmm. they knew that they'd be drug tested and they couldn't they knew that they would be dinged for that and so they'd show up the last minute hope that they could push out the baby grab the baby and run
1: and you know why they do that yeah i do they want their babies
0: they want their babies yeah they want to get out the door with their baby under their arm take them back to whatever living situation they have and do the very best that they can and We were trained to see these women and recognize there's no way that that baby would be safe in her arms in the situation that she would be going home to today. Mm -hmm. And then it would be my job, essentially, to make that call and break her heart. Yeah. 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 Broke my heart, too. Oh, yeah. 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 I remember one of my, the most vivid memories or stories that I have from those times was I, you know, I came on the night shift. I got my assignment, and I was assigned. I was a postpartum nurse that night, and I was taking care of a very young woman who um, had delivered her baby a couple of hours earlier. And we knew that that baby wasn't going to go home with her. And she made a living as a stripper mm-hmm. and you know, lived in an insecure situation and had, she had a rocky life. Um, she had been a foster child herself. And had started into, you know, her current career. I think she was like 18 or 19 or something like that. She was delivering her second child. The first was already in the foster care system.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I went into that room and the room was filled with women who were her friends. And they were her coworkers. And they were surrounding her with as much love and affection as they possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um And they were jokey, and they were having fun, and they were making, you know, they knew what was going down here, and they were there for this young woman. Yeah. And then um, after those women left, and it was, you know, getting on in the nighttime, the mother told me she knew that she wasn't going to get that baby, but she just, she wanted to try and breastfeed it for the one night that she would be with it. And I said, okay. I mean, it was her baby. She could do that. And I, I imagine that she had not tested positive for drugs, so I imagine it was a safe situation. This is, we're talking like 15 years ago, so I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but she lifted up her shirt, and she had pierced nipples mm. with um, big barbells in them. And she said, you know, these things really make me really popular as a stripper, Um, And they're really hard to put back in. If I take it out to breastfeed her, I may not be able to get them back in in time to get back to work. I mean, I'm, you know.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah. And so I said, that's your choice right now, isn't it? We can't. What are we going to do? And she says, take them out. So Mm -hmm. they were stuck. I had to go get some hemostats and crank them open and slide them out for her. And. That night, she breastfed that baby, knowing full well that the baby, this was it. This was her night. This was all she had. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I still tear up thinking about this young woman.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And this woman knew what this baby was going to be going into, foster care. And she was going to try her very, very best to get her life together. But mm-hmm. she was 18 with two kids in foster care, working as a stripper, no education, no other job skills, Her community was all living this lifestyle. Yeah. What what are the odds? Yeah,
1: yeah. And believe it or not, oftentimes they do.
0: I know. And now I think about it, that baby of hers is a (laughs) 15-year-old or, you know, however old it was. And I wonder, did the cycle repeat or did the cycle start fresh with her? I don't know.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, well okay. you, know, you you said you said one thing there that I do I really do want to address here. When people hear the word f- foster home, mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes the image is uh, is of something out of you know a Dickensian you know Oliver.
0: Yeah, it's you know? grim. The stories we mostly grim. hear are grim.
1: Yeah, and that's because those are the stories you hear. Right. Um, the The homes that I work with are exemplary. And I would say that most of them are, uh, are, people that go into foster care are an incredibly special breed of people. Because when we think of what we're asking them to do, to take very difficult, very damaged, very needy children into their home, knowing nothing about them, care for them, attach to them as if they were their own, because that's what's good for the child. Yeah. Knowing that at any point on a moment's notice, this child that you've loved, cared for, stayed up nights with, you know, the whole gamut, uh, could be removed from your home at a moment's notice. Right, removed from your your arms, your husband's, your children's lives. They've bonded with them as well. And you know these children can be in their homes for six months, a year, a year and a half, sometimes longer, depending. I uh-huh. mean that, that's not usual, but quite some time. And. They may never see them again.
0: Yeah. yeah, ever,
1: ever, and so we're 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 asking people to do that. And I've heard it said, oh, you know, foster parents—they just do it for the money.
0: I've heard that too.
1: They don't make that much money.
0: No, they don't.
1: <laughs> they really don't. I'm sure there are those people out there that are unscrupulous, and in situations where they can work the system. But I really don't feel that that's the the predominant reality. Right. And in addition, you know, a lot of these foster parents are agreeable to working very closely with the biological parents. And that's what we encourage, is for them to work with them, mentor them, model for them, um, bring them on board as much as they can, uh, recognizing their parenthood, their motherhood. Yeah. And um, I do have one story to tell that uh, it, it just really exemplifies the kind of thing that foster parents will do. Is that, you know, a, a foster parent went to the hospital to pick up an infant. And when she got there, uh, the biological mom, the mom, of course, was distraught. Yeah distraught oh yeah and the foster mom said you know do you, what would you like me to dress baby in did you bring something for baby to um to be dressed in to to go home and she said no no i don't i don't really have anything i you know i'm not ready for this baby you know i, I don't i have nothing and was of course very depressed dejected feeling Rotten.
0: Probably felt ashamed of not having that little outfit. Worthless. Yeah.
1: Worthless. And the foster mom said, well, I wasn't sure if you would have something or not. So I brought a few things. And she laid out two or three outfits. And she said, well, would you choose which one you think you'd like your baby to go home in? Aww. And one of them, one of the outfits said, I heart my mommy. Aww. And the mom, bio mom, picked that one up with tears in her eyes. Oh, man, I've got tears now. Yeah, and said, I'd, I'd like this one. Oh. And so that's what they dress this baby in. And, you know, our, our, our foster parents do that every day. Yeah. They they do, and this is with, they're working with people that, frankly, uh, hate them. Yeah. Because, you know, how do you feel when somebody has something that it belongs to you that you want, and they won't give it back. Right. That feels un, unjust. You may not have completely accepted the fact that, you know, you you have responsibility here. You know, there's grief going on, and that includes anger, denial, bargaining, the whole gamut. Right. And as well as there, you know, these are people with addictions, like we said, that are, oh man, they're going through a lot, and and oftentimes the foster parents take that heat. Yeah. And still, they come across um, basically providing bonding to the parents.
0: That's respect and compassion.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Respect and compassion. That add a little flexibility, and you've got the basic ingredients of parenthood.
1: Y- yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've often said that being a foster parent is an awful lot like taking your heart out of your chest throwing it out on the busiest street you know, let it get run over for, you know, a year, and then picking it up, dusting it back off, putting it back in your heart, damaged as it is, and waiting till the next child comes when you're going to rip your heart out, throw it in the street, and go through the whole process again.
0: They're heroes.
1: They're heroes. And um, many of them have been doing it for decades. Right. And their families have been going through it for decades and um they they really are they're heroes so i i really wish that when people heard the 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 term foster home that they didn't you know think in their minds this is a horrible place right it's it's where a child needs to be in these circumstances and these parents are doing incredibly hard jobs with with children that may be screaming all night they yeah. may Breaking everything in the home. Right. They could be smearing poop on the walls. They could be hitting you, biting you. You know, I mean, the the behaviors of traumatized children can be pretty intense. mm mm-hmm. And yet, the foster parents still love them through it. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, oftentimes uh, these <laughs> children that you know uh, can be a, a huge problem in their homes, if Biological parents are not able to reunify with them. Foster parent adopts them. Yeah, and says you're. You know, this really problem child. I'm going to keep you and love you forever. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what I want people to to think of when they think of a foster home.
0: Well, they know? will. They will think of that now that you've told these stories, Kathy. They better. They will. How long have you, <laughs> How long have you been doing this work? You've been a nurse how long?
1: Uh, 30 years this month.
0: And how long have you been doing public health nursing?
1: For 15. Wow. Yeah.
0: You've and got my, your chops.
1: Most of the, most of those years, either with the foster care system or with at-risk families. So I've worked both sides.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Kathy, I really appreciate your coming on the podcast this morning and telling us a little bit about this. Um, I imagine that as people listen to this, they're going to have questions and comments, and so maybe we'll do this again sometime down the road.
1: Yeah, sure, yeah, great. That sounds good. Great, thanks a lot, Jean. It's
0: good to talk to you.
1: Okay, take okay. care.
0: Bye, bye. My guest today was Kathy, who is a public health nurse in Northern California. When I'm talking with nurses, we might not share last names because they want to be able to tell their stories without worrying about professional uh, backlash. Common Sense Pregnancy and Parenting is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios in Portland, Oregon. You can find my book, Common Sense Pregnancy, on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere books are sold. You can see more of my work on my website, genefaulkner.com. And if you have questions, email at gene at genefaulkner.com. And thanks for joining me on Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Power. And please subscribe, share, leave a rating on iTunes if you feel so inclined. And thanks for joining me. Let's keep talking.